Hello and welcome to Something to Do with Art with me, Robert Good. In this episode, I meet up with musician and actor Beric Livingston. Beric trained in musical theatre at Guildford School of Acting and was frontman of the Healing Fields before turning to acting and music production. And for a while, Beric was host of the hugely popular online quiz show HQ Trivia. Beric also composed the jingle for this podcast, so as a non-musician myself, I'm really curious to find out how he did it and whether the creative process is the same for music and art. And I'm also keen to find out more about the art of quiz show hosting. Our conversation takes place at Berwick's recording studio in London, where he continues to compose, arrange and produce. So join me for this edition of Something to Do with Art, and let's see where today's conversation might take us. And this week I'm in East London to meet Beric Livingstone, an actor, singer, songwriter, quiz show host <laughs> and musician. Hello, Beric. Hello. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for agreeing to it. It's great to uh, be able to have a chat with you. You're describing my um, uh, portfolio career is what I'd love to call it, just sort of doing whatever comes up is the other way of describing it. Well, well I was going to say, which is the real Beric? I mean, because <laughs> you've got so many strings to your bow. I know, and it's not really intentional. Every year I think I must be a bit more focused this year and just turn down other things, but... <laughs> I think part of the working in the creative industries is you don't always have complete choice over what comes along. Um, and uh, I always think oh, I better say yes to this in case nothing else comes up ever. Um, so, that, so yeah, you're right. I ended up being a, a quiz show host, which was really not on my list of things I ever wanted to your do. Your bucket ever. list. Yeah. <laughs> and you were a front man for a band. Yeah, I guess I always wanted to be in a band and, you know, grew up loving a lot of sort of synth bands when I was a kid and wasn't quite sure how I would go about getting into that. I put some ads in the enemy and uh, yeah and put this band together which had various iterations sometimes seemed like it was going somewhere sometimes wasn't obvious at all <laughs> but there is something about working with a band that I absolutely love I mean I, I love the process of making music with other people and I think that's what that was one of the best things about it is this way of creating something that's much better than you could have ever created on your own and and there's a kind of camaraderie that goes along with being being a band and you know you you tour around places in your dingy old bus and you know uh, get these horrible digs to sleep in and wake up the next day and go to the next gig and um uh and uh, and then you know you get these sort of dingy divey places that you Playing, um, you know, which smell of beer and uh, well, I, well, I was <laughs> beer thinking, and dust. <laughs> ne- never, never mind the kind of deep, arty, philosophical conversation. You know, let's have some kind of rock and roll stories of debauchery. <laughs> <laughs> debauchery, yeah. Well, um, what can we put on the tape? <laughs> no, you don't have to a lot of that. rock and roll is just waiting around for your time to go on. Depending on, you're either waiting around for your sound check and then going on pretty soon afterwards, or you're sound checking first, then you've got this enormous gap and then you go on later. 
But so I guess it depends how much you enjoy waiting backstage. Because <laughs> so, if you don't, you're someone. I mean, a lot of yeah, a lot of the work is uh, is this sort of setting up and. Well, I was curious about the the whole idea, the whole concept of the front man, and whether in doing that, whether you're kind of projecting an image of yourself as you would like to be, or whether you think that this is the real me. Finally, I get a chance to be the real person. Because sometimes I I read about or hear about uh, different uh, musicians, and their stage persona is very different to their private persona, which is totally fair enough. But there's a gap between the two. Mm. And um, I I think I read that Mick Jagger. Now this, I mean, I don't think this is kind of sixties Mick Jagger, but I think the kind of more more latter day Mick Jagger, you know, he plays Scrabble uh, backstage whilst <laughs> waiting for the gig, and that's kind of personifies the difference between the two the two spheres, maybe. But I don't know if that's the case. Yeah, it's a really interesting one, and, and actually, live performance was something I've struggled with over the years with 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 a band, partly because. When I've done plays or musicals, you're in character, and so that's what you're projecting, and 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 it's clear what that's supposed to be. But with when it's your own music, you're sort of wearing your heart on your sleeve, or at least you're 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 saying something that's just come from you, and there is no formula for what it's supposed to look like or how it's supposed to be presented. And I guess I've always felt more comfortable in a studio where there's just the creative artists in there and you, and you've got time to think about things and redo things if you want to, and you've got some level of control. Or I felt comfortable when you're playing a gig where everyone wants to see your music and that's that can buoy you along what i found really hard is when we were starting out and no one really knew who we were and it was my job to sort of convert people to our band or we might be on the bill with a bunch of other bands and so half the audience would come to see other people and they, you know and they didn't know the songs um so I've done several gigs where I felt it was my job to make the audience like the band and I think that was probably where I was least successful in delivering it because I was trying too hard or it was a bit fake. And then like I've done a couple of projects where I fronted a, another band for a while where I hadn't written any of the songs and I kind of didn't care as much about that. It wasn't my stuff so I just threw it away a bit more and it People say, "Oh, that's you're doing a much better job now. You're just you're, too authentic. You're relaxed better. enough to." I mean, I think the interesting challenge of all live performance is that your job is to make the audience have a great night. It isn't really your job to have a great night yourself necessarily, or at least that can't be your focus. Or singing the perfect note isn't your real job. Your job is to make the audience um, feel comfortable, relaxed, happy, excited. And like, you know, that time was really well spent. They, they're inspired, they're energised. So in a way, I think it's about giving something to them, you know, giving them permission to enjoy the music, which, you know, for, for me, I found it quite tricky because I'm so self-critical um, that if I, you know, if I miss a note slightly or... Well, I should say that we're, we're, we're gathered here together because you uh, very kindly composed the jingle for my podcast. Yes! <laughs> and so I am surrounded by so many retro knobs, buzzers, kind of sliders, stuff that just looks like a kind of child's heaven. <laughs> what does this one do, Daddy? You know. Yeah, there are lots of buttons and switches. But I've always really enjoyed the vibe, like I said, of studios. And part of that, yeah, is, is having real buttons and switches to play with. 
partly it's also not being a terribly good musician i make up for it by trying to sh sort of smooth my way out of the of the audio problems that i encounter with gear <laughs> you can well, buy more toys to make things sound better well let's um, let's put that in perspective a little bit because i'm i'm failed grade 1 piano <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'm slightly traumatised by my kind of musical upbringing because I could never get as far as reading the music. It always baffled me why there were two different systems for each hand. Yeah. And I don't think I've got a, a, a... Well, I know I haven't got a musical ear. And so I had to try and learn everything by rote. And um, on top of that, my dad uh, would set himself each year the target of, of learning a new tune a week till Christmas. Wow. At which point he would give us this recital of, of, of his, of his uh, efforts. And by kind of mid-October, he was still on the first one. <laughs> oh, no. And, you know, playing them one literally one chord at a time and then kind of working out where his fingers had to go for those. And then we would be crowded round the piano uh, at Christmas time, having to sing uh, top hat, white time tales. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that puts a little perspective on musical on, trauma. On yes, so I'm curious in the whole kind of creative process as to what the world sounds like, as it were, from a musical point of view. Do you have so? Do you literally have tunes running around in your head? So, like when I said to you, uh, could you possibly do me a jingle? and you email me back three or four different examples, do you just kind of pluck them from the music tree and say this one, how does it work? I think it varies depending on what the project is and, and what, its, what, what its purpose is. I've tended to write in my head, and I think that, again, it's partly through not being a terribly good musician, so I can write things that are better executed in my head than they would be if I tried to put them down. Um, but can um, you you hear them in your head? Yeah, um, I've always sort of more or less finished the song in my head first, and then wow. tried to sort of convey that across either to a band or to or through sort of making a demo. With your piece, yeah, these are really bad notes now. I'd written down that one of the ideas would be Cocteau Twins Dream Dissonant Chords Reverb Stina Nordenstrom Avoid Casio Drums. Oh wow! <laughs> and another one: Idealistic, Unrealistic, Noodling, Playful, Inquiry, Engaging, Not Nostalgic. <laughs> ah no, I think those were my. That might have been what you that, said. That's to what me. I said. I said something along those lines. Yeah. And then I'd written down that we wanted a, what I've written down as a micro jingle, five to eight seconds, and then a main jingle, 20 to 30 seconds, and then some background music, 90 seconds. So there were some parameters there. Was I a very demanding client? No, not at all. Um, I guess uh, the interesting challenge for any client type of a relationship is trying to interpret what they mean but may not have the same reference points as you to convey. Uh, so I think you'd said that you know you liked the fact that you had a, a clip that you already liked um, and it was quite kitsch but you didn't want it to be sending things up so you liked a bit of humour but you didn't want it to be too ironic or, or too much of a taking the mickey kind of thing. Um, yeah, so, so so I think my first point of call was to look on the, the free music databases that are available online that you can use. And I spent ages trawling through these things and the typical kind of uh, user 
I don't know which one I like and and I couldn't really decide and I came across this one that was really quite cheesy but mm. I I actually quite liked it but I played it to everybody and they said no Robert you can't you can't go with that but there was something humorous about it mm. that I liked mm. and, and it's uh, about getting something that's appropriate for the format as well podcasts yeah. have this wonderful kind of informality about them and fun and uh, uh, more kind of a live dialogue they tend to have than than, um, than you would get with a formal interview or... or um... Shall I play it for... I don't know if I dare play it back to you. Shall I play you oh, my... The, the, my, the my, cheesy my, one. The cheesy one. Yeah, definitely. Shall I? Definitely do it. I, d- I don't know if I dare admit... I think I've heard it, haven't I? I think you have, but my my listeners won't have heard it. Ah, so yes, they can compare and contrast. <laughs> but uh, but the, the, the thing is, I daren't, because this just exposes my kind of musical tastes and this you know this is yeah, probably but i think you know the the, the best thing about okay sound it's more wistful than I remember it and it's quite relaxing as well it is you could almost imagine Tony Hart's drawing board filling up as you hear that one I should probably credit Chad Crouch and the fuzzy caterpillar. That is the fuzzy caterpillar. I love that title. It is. It's great. You can imagine one of those caterpillars yes, just totally. kind of going along a, a, a twig. So that's what my starting point. Yeah. And, I um, must have heard that. And then, but you don't want to copy it too much. So I probably sort of. You, well, you probably it. probably put your hands up in horror and said no. I remember you came back to me and said, "Well, Robert, what sort of instruments do you want?" Oh yeah. And I thought. I don't know. I, I've got no. I can't see my. So I'm, I'm interested in this kind of the idea of the mental universe. The fact that you can hold a whole tune in your head and work out how it goes. I can't get from you know the main verse to the chorus without having to re rewind it. So if you're, let's say, you're driving along the motorway, presumably stuff can tend to just waft through your brain musically. Yeah, there's an interesting thing about sort of travelling, I think, and the creative process. I don't know what it's like with when you're making a piece of visual work where you maybe have to be in situ to do it, but of course to write you can be on the move um, and sometimes moving uh, can be quite useful for, for the creative process. I mean, you know, train rides or something where there's this sort of regular motion. The only thing that I find really inhibiting is if there's other music going on, uh, no matter how quietly and distantly, I can't work at all with that. But... Um, no, definitely. But sort of white noise or, or motion or travel, I think, yeah, things can work quite well there. And I'm not sure what that is. I'm sure someone in neuroscience and stuff has done a PhD on it, but um, but there's something about putting your brain into the gear where 
things can come in as well as sort of be forced out. Oh, well, there's a really interesting book, I think, on uh, how to draw, learning how to draw called Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain. Brilliant. And whether, whether it's kind of neurologically, scientifically accurate or not, uh, she talks about uh, the shift that's needed from left brain to right brain. And that's kind of very mm. uh, contested now. But what she describes is in the creative process, you go from one one mode, which is very busy, very task orientated, you know what the time is, you know what you've got to do, you feel rushed, you've got to get stuff done. Mm -hmm. And then imperceptibly, you move into this atemporal space where you lose the sense of time, you forget what's going on around you, mm. you become into this kind of almost semi-dreamlike state and that's mm. where things emerge from and she says you have to access that part of the brain mm. for the creativity to to arise. And But just the way she described that transition from one mental state to another I, I found really uh, interesting mm. yeah it is interesting and there's there's a there's that book hyper focus which talks about sort of different states of focus and how you can kind of try and activate one for for, for, for you know, particular purposes um, I mean I definitely hear that and, and recognize that when I'm when I'm working and uh, if I'm if I'm working on something and I'm enjoying it I definitely lose track of time I definitely sort of forget to eat for sort of and, and you know hours and hours and hours can go by uh, which I guess is, I guess is a good thing. I mean, I'm hesitant to say it's a good thing in and of itself, but you know, I guess being in the zone and working hard is a good state to be in. <laughs> but when you're working with a particular goal in mind, yes, then I guess you are trying to to balance those things. And I was interested to hear your podcast with Alban, um, where he talked about having a, a fast mode and a slow mode of working. And I hadn't really thought about it in those terms, but I guess, you know, when you're when you're doing a job for a particular time and there's a particular deadline, then you are going to work in a particular way with a particular set of tools that um, are quicker to work with. Um, so uh, for me as a musician, it might be that I'm using uh, existing sounds that I have rather than trying to create a sound from the ground up, um, or I might use loops or or I might use a, a sound effect like that, that scribbling pen. I didn't in the end record it from scratch. I just found one um, and imported it into the song, the pencil. I find if I've, if I've worked on a, a new piece and I think it's finished, I go into this completely sort of mad, euphoric state where all I want to do is play it over and over again. And I keep going, oh, I'll go to bed now. I'll no, I'll just play it one more time. I'll go to bed after this time. No, I'll play it one more time. Uh, which is it was completely nuts. Um, but... There's something about the process of creating that is unlike any other process, I think, um, and that makes almost any other job unfulfilling in some level. So, yeah, so doing things like uh, hosting a quiz game, there's a buzz from it being a, a live transmission, and, you know, it's a, it's a piece of creative work in one sense, but it's not making something from brand new, and it's never going to give me the, the thrill of making something from from scratch I guess or no I think well I think that's absolutely right and that's the the buzz of creativity in that sense of when you've got something well it's interesting because I kind of realized I was thinking about coming to talk to you today and realizing how I don't have this real kind of musical 
universe in my brain and sometimes you hear about artists or well, there, there are various different flavors there's the synesthesia thing where some people can mm. hear music or, or num see numbers or colors uh, whilst they see objects or music that that overlap of different senses but then I remember also like a visual universe well I, I don't really <laughs> I shouldn't really admit this I don't really feel I've got a particular visual you know, internal uh, universe, uh, good good memory in that regard either. For example, apparently David Hockney says that um, he can recall pretty well any painting that he's ever painted really? and could, you know, remake it, mm. which is astonishing to think mm. that you've got that kind of filing cabinet of stuff. And, and I thought, hang on a second, I was starting to get a bit angsty because, you know, I, don't, I've got, I haven't got music and I haven't got visual and so on. And then I kind of realised that actually I think my mental map or universe is based around thoughts and ideas. Mm. And that for and me... You work with text exactly, lot, so and, and exactly. So for me, actually, my primary... My brain is cluttered with all these thoughts that just keep going through and propositions that I kind of test out to myself or, or thoughts that I might have heard or things that I might have read and I'm trying to weigh them and argue them to myself and back them backwards and forwards. And for me, out of that comes hopefully something insightful that I then want to share. And actually, then the visual representation is not... Well, it's not that it's not important to me and there's that satisfaction of creating from it, but my I suddenly was thinking in terms of these different mental states of being. And um, so I was thinking, oh, OK, well, I have at least got something that's happening. <laughs> well, quite clearly, you <laughs> yeah. have, yeah. Something's um, going on up there. It, it's fascinating, the different approaches. I mean, I guess with music, you, you can start with a melody that doesn't have any kind of thought or, or, or words attached to it at all, and then it can come from there. Or I've done things where I've, I've written a tune that I was kind of not massively happy with, but I kind of thought it had something, and I've put it on the back burner. And then years later, I've come back and changed it lyrics or something like that and then it's worked as a, as a piece so that can happen so often I and mean, I've, I've talked about this to other people how kind of like years later mm. suddenly either make sense or I've got loads of unfinished projects that I'm waiting for another piece of the jigsaw mm. or an opportunity to show them or the right environment in which they will become and you have to trust that that process is okay don't you because I always want to I hate the fact that I start so many things that I don't finish Sometimes I guess you just have to trust that it's all right not to finish everything or it may get finished in time or it may not or it may just inform the next thing you do. But that risk taking of putting in quite a lot of work to, to get it sometimes just one stage but it doesn't necessarily see the light of day. I had one other question that I was interested to ask you about the relationship between art and music or the compare and contrast. So I was wondering, what does music bring to the party that art doesn't? And so if you come back from a gig, if you're in the audience, you have that sense of euphoria and that sense of buzz and uplift if it's been a really great experience. And I'm thinking, maybe art doesn't quite do that in the same way. You, I mean, you can go to an exhibition and feel really engaged and energized and come out really buzzing but it's a kind of different flavor mm. and also that maybe is it that music is quite manipulative of of the emotions in a way maybe you know you have your quiet section and then you have your kind of your bit where you're you're, you're playing the the buzzy ones or the 
the, the hits. And there's a there's a sense of moving people's emotions around in a way that's possibly different to art, or I don't know. Yes, potentially. I mean, I suppose, you know, with a piece of visual arts, it's taken a lot of time to make, but then it doesn't occupy a sort of linear space in time to view. You can view it in one second, or you can view it for one hour. Whereas music, it requires time to be executed. And part of your... Or, your intention is to convey some emotions or some some thoughts with that music and it and it's done over time so yes you may may do that entirely deliberately because you want the audience to be clapping at the end so you kind of you know you've built a little bit of emotion then you've gone and had a big chorus and you've kind of brought it down again and then you've had a middle eight and a maybe a, a nice noodly uh, breakdown bit i'm always a sucker for a 15 minute guitar solo and you bring it all back together and you know you deliberately end the song say with some chords that, that that have a very definite finishing point where the audience wants to wants to clap and that yeah i guess that is a sort of deliberate manipulation but it's also what you hope is the best way of conveying the emotions that are in that song um well maybe that's a good point at which to pause and uh, have some refreshment right on i'll crack open the bubbly <laughs> So we are back after a fantastic lunch. <laughs> Thank you, Barry. I, I think maybe I should start ranking my lunches and, <laughs> and tea breaks. No, that, that I don't know. That that feels. That then everyone would have to bring their MasterChef game to your podcast. Well, maybe they so should. Much pressure. Maybe they should. Yeah. Well, that was right up there. New potatoes, a <laughs> little bit of speciality butter for the bread. I found my man. I'm so excited. I found this Italian butter made on a tiny mountain with very happy cows. Yeah, it's just changed my world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> anyway, so now I feel completely replete and uh, ready for... Uh... So I, what I wanted... I was curious to ask you about your uh, work with the trivia show mm. and how you found that. Do you want to just say a little bit about what you did? Yes. Uh, so there was this app called HQ Trivia which you downloaded and played on your phone and it was a bit of a kind of trivial pursuit quiz game and it, it worked really well I think because there's something about the personal nature of your own mobile device that gives you quite a personal connection with people presenting it so I think people felt that they were they were getting something special beamed directly to them anyway it turned into a year's worth of, of, of quiz show hosting which um you know, I hadn't put on my bucket list of must-do jobs, but it was very enjoyable. Slightly high uh, pressure because uh, because of the live aspect, and but very impressive. I mean, they, you're obviously doing something right if they kept you on for a year. You know, the challenge with all of these things is that can you say yes to a job you wouldn't have necessarily thought of yourself in, and stay true to yourself? And I think that is something I've I've wrestled with. I'm impressed that you uh, became recognised or people came up to you. How did that go? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, it did have its moment of popularity, um, I think because it was the first and it did get popular in England too. So, yes, uh, while I was by no means like um, famous or a celebrity or anything, but I did have a few people, random people kind of stop me and say, are, are you the guy from HQ? And It's, it's an odd thing as, as a sort of... Uh, as a performer, you've 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 chased 
that recognition to some degree or other, either through just getting applause from the end of the, the, the show or whatever, or, or for being more focusedly ambitious and trying to get recognised. Partly so you can choose the work you like to do better and, and, and eat and stuff like that and pay the bills. So when you do get recognition, there's part of you is very flattered and sort of gratified. But that's also a double-edged sword, I think, because there's sort of golem side of you wants to do anything to keep that recognition going you know <laughs> um, and uh, so you think well I can't leave this job because uh, you know it's all going going well and another another bit is is quite uncomfortable with it I think partly because it wasn't something I'd really wanted to be recognized for like I'd love it if people stopped me in the street now and went oh new Beric from the healing fields you know that'd be great but having worked away in bands for a number of years, it's stuff that I was sort of believed in, at least at the time. But to be recognised for something that was completely off off my uh, agenda of, of things I must uh, do, that was a bit kind of oh, God's sake! Now, because they were seeing me in the suit and tie and the the game show host personality, um, so but uh, and I guess the other the other thing was the invasive nature of it, which was was made a lot. It was definitely changed by social media. When I was in a band, there really wasn't social media at that point. So if you did a gig, people came to see it probably because they wanted to, or maybe they're there by mistake. But either way, they might come up to you after the show and say, thank you, but that was nice. Or they might boo you off the stage. But either way, that was the end of it, really. No one was online chatting about whether it was a good gig or a bad gig. But with these shows, not only was every single one ended up online, uh, but then there'd be a chat about it afterwards. Like uh, one day oh, we were in a bit of a hurry and we'd been a bit late finishing the script and this and that happened and we had a new person doing the hair and makeup. And uh, I probably just had a very bad hair day to begin with, but my hair looked particularly like a wig that day. And for like months afterwards, I was getting wig, wig, wiggy. Well, it's our favorite presenter, Wiggy. How's your wig, Wiggy? And uh, even now, uh, I did a similar thing a few months back and they, they said, you're back, Wiggy, you're back. And uh, uh, so like every little thing can be uh, sort of analyzed, replayed. It's things that you think is how it might be, mm. but it's interesting to hear yeah, I mean, I, I got a very small flavour, and it really was a, very, a tiny, tiny flavour of what it must be like uh, for someone that actually is well-known or has lots and lots of followers or, or uh, is on TV and stuff. Uh, you, you sort of imagination of the of the uh, pressures of, of celebrity are that, you know, oh, maybe someone comes up and takes your photo when you don't want them to, and uh, but you've got all this money and fantastic things going on that you don't mind. But actually, the reality can be you're not really making very much money anyway. And also, that doesn't really compensate for this sense that everything you do is being judged, which I hadn't really thought about before, and that every every hair out of place will have a comment. And even if it's just a joke, and it means nothing to the person that posted it, they're not really bothered, they're just saying it. But it's very difficult to let it wash off your back, because, you know, you think, well, I, I have to ignore the bad comments, but then you have to ignore the good ones as well, and uh, and your ego is sort of flattered by the good ones. Saying, well, maybe, maybe there's a little bit of truth in the good ones, but then you think there must be a bit of truth in the bad ones as well. And it's also how much do you engage with it, because you want to be responsive to people that say, oh, I really enjoyed your show. Someone, someone messaged me once and said, uh, I've had a really hard year, and um, I just want to say that watching your show cheered me up. So of course you want to be nice and say thank you very much and I'm sorry I had a hard year but that's, it's great that we were able to do something that you enjoy. But then he started telling me more and more about his life and I was a little bit suicidal and his mum just died and, blah, blah, blah. and you think, oh now, now what do I do? Because I'm not really qualified to help but I can't stop talking to him now because that would be really even more mean than I was saying in the first place. Uh, so it's how do you 
engage in a way that you can deal with and in a way that also is sort of fair and nice to the people that have taken the trouble to engage with you it's like you've um, but you don't always have the psychological tools to deal with that and you might have had a very busy day uh, and you might be under a lot of stress yourself you may not have the resources to uh, to, to uh, engage in a way that is going to do any good so I don't know I guess you, you, you find your way through these wow. funny, funny side aspects of business yeah it's a lot more complex than it <laughs> it might appear you, you 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 end up signing up for more than you realize or there's more to it than you you thought you'd signed up for yeah and it's not something they sort of necessarily uh teach you because it's evolving you know so definitely no social media and stuff is evolving and uh it's not always obvious when you are under stress yourself in a job but it's not, it's not always obvious to you how that stress is showing itself you know so it's something you might have not been bothered by at all on a good day on a bad day can feel like the end of the world you know when someone says this was a terrible performance and we're never going to watch it again yeah curious curious side element wow well but thank you for sharing that because <laughs> no seriously that's that is fascinating and you might just to kind of lighten the tone you might be interested to know so for some of my regular listeners i occasionally do a little bit of light research into a topic of of interest so my I've got a few little bits of trivia for you, if I may. <laughs> Go for and it. And I've gone for the... Uh, they're all to do with your name, Berwick. Not Wikipedia this time, but I found this website called whatistheMeaningOfName.com. Huh. So, that here sounds... we go. How many Berwicks are there in the whole of America? <laughs> um, 115. 53. 53. Can I name my baby Berwick? No. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> ah, well, the answer is yes, you can name oh. your baby Berwick. I suppose yeah. legally you could. I mean, uh, it, it, I, I really like the name, um, but you are doomed to having it misspelled and misheard for the rest of your life. Ah. Well, now, here's the thing, though. Um, a list of celebrities with the first name Berwick. There aren't any. <laughs> Berig, Berig with a G, is a legendary king of the Goths. Ooh. But do you know what this led me to think? I might now be talking to the most famous Berwick in the world. Wow. <laughs> There's a thought. <laughs> you, might, you might be the number one Berwick. Uh, well, uh, that's, well, that's always good to Just be first it. at something, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, because th there's a Beric Dondarion, who is a character in Game of Thrones. But So now people have heard that name uh, through the medium oh, okay. of television, so that's good. Well, uh, He's not real, of course, but, uh, but he is a Beric. And, would you um, be happy with second best? Oh yeah, I'll take it. Uh, you know, Anywhere on, on the podium is alright with me. Uh, Top and silver ten. looks better on me than gold. Yeah, well that's, that's good. Um, I was about to tell you what your... Uh, what the name means. Oh, but, go on then. Probably means uh, sheep might, farmer. Oh, here we go. Mm. What, what, Disappointing. What, what? It's grain farm. Grain farm. A berwick is a grain farm. Oh, well, it, mm, yeah. Well, okay, but what I what I think is the most, the, the, the best find of all that I've found, they, uh, that what they do is they put the name through their special image generator to uh, generate like. <laughs> an image 
of the ideal Beric. Oh, please let me look like Tina Turner. Would you like to see yes. your alter ego? Yes. Uh, oh, has he been in a car accident, do you think? Now, I do realise this doesn't translate easily for my, for my listeners. So he, he looks a bit like uh, one of the uh, ghosts in Pac-Man who's had a little bit of surgery uh, or, or a space invader type thing coming down. Um, I mean, I, w I was thinking maybe he's got a little bit of the pox. He's, he's kind of missing the whole of his yeah. nose. He's, it's, he doesn't look well. It do he doesn't look well. Maybe, uh, I mean, he could have really cool hair and just to put his face mask on slightly wrong. <gasps> it's a face mask. Yeah, could, could be. It's a, it's a proto it's a proto mask. Yeah, where you thought you had to cover the eyes and the nose, but not the mouth, or something like that. Uh, it, it, yeah, it, it's not the most flattering portrait, but I'll, I'll take it. You know. <laughs> You're not proud. I've, I've had that hairdo before. <laughs> wow, that, so that's a that's a great algorithm they've got there. I know it's it's do, a winner. Do any names work on it? <laughs> do they create human-like results? <laughs> Uh, no, I don't. I don't think they probably do. Let's be honest. Um, well, but but the great the great news is that congratulations, you've qualified for a prize. Oh, good. Why have I qualified for a prize? Well, this is a new part of my podcast now, Ooh, and there's a very uh, interesting box coming out. Well, I I don't know, Ooh. but anyway, there Ooh, you it's go. Got, it's got a weight to it. Well, yes, Ooh. yes. This has the weight of a very pleasing audio component with, with proper tubes in it. Oh dear. There's a lovely white box. Now, I'm not saying that's what it is, but it's, <laughs> it's got that same weighty pleasingness. <laughs> there is a vessel inside. A vessel for drinking. <laughs> there is a branded something to do with art mug. I love it. <laughs> it's beautiful and, of course, typographically beautiful you made it. Well, um, uh, typographically, I have to thank the very wonderful Danielle Blyde oh, who yeah? sorted that for me. Did you, what, she chose the font? Yeah. Really? She, she helped me out with that. Mm. Well, it was a bit like with the jingle. Like with the jingle. I, I kind of was halfway there, but I needed a bit of help getting over the line. This is lovely. Thank you very much. We, can, we should have an extra cup of tea just so we can christen this, this mug. I'll put it on there. Well, maybe that is a good point at which to say thank you so much for this chat. <laughs> thank you. And I can play you out with your own jingle. <laughs> Hooray. Thank you very much, Robert. It's so nice to see you. Thank you. for listening to this episode of Something to Do with Art. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback via social media and check out the podcast notes for links and further information. That's it for this episode. Many thanks to the very wonderful Beric Livingston for the music, Danielle Blyde for logo design and to everyone who has taken part and helped me with this project. I hope to catch up with you again soon. Thank you.